welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 253 for Monday, July 10th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is a man who still has a PC, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, I have a PC and I have a Mac. I, I'm one of those people that has to bounce back and forth. I don't always recommend you try it. <laughs> <laughs> they have both they both have their strengths and they both have their weaknesses but as someone that does a lot of hotkeys i pull my hair out sometimes on the pc when i keep on hitting mac hotkeys and they just don't work mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little bit of a trip uh, but if you want to hear more about the the pc issues that may be uh happening around the podcast over the next week or two you can check out the rendered distance that is the extended version of the podcast uh, we talked a little bit about gardening we talked a little bit about, tr- about trying new things on the, the render distance this week uh members of our patreon get access to that and that's at patreon.com slash you get a good 20 to 30 minutes of extra audio content every week in addition you also have access to things like the monthly minecraft hangout as well as the quarterly hangout that we do every three months to talk about how the podcast is doing both of those have been uh, delayed a little bit they're scheduled for uh june and july uh, but because of the PC issues that Johnny has been having, we've had to push those back. We will let everyone know in the announcements channel in our Discord when those are happening. Yes, but uh, in the meantime, we can talk about what's new in our Minecraft lives. And for my part, because of the aforementioned PC issues, I won't be playing Minecraft a whole bunch for the next couple of weeks. So uh, I have backlogged six episodes of the Minecraft Survival Guide to release on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays during this brief hiatus for my work life. And so for these discussions, just so I can have something to continue to contribute, I'm probably going to stick to the stuff that I have released up until uh, the latest episode of the show. So uh, today's video on Survival Guide was basically a love letter to the Ender Chest. (laughs) I'd spent all of last week on villagers, getting all of the villager professions up to master level and talking about the ones that you can kind of skip. Like, I don't spend much time talking to leather workers most of the time, but it's all about different gameplay styles and if people have a massive cow farm that they want to trade leather workers, that's fine. But I immediately recognized that the next stage in the progression was going to be an ender chest. And boy, did I miss having an ender chest up until this point. And we're going to talk a bit more about this in the main discussion about imposing restrictions on yourself and kind of drip feeding features or purposefully gating off certain features from your gameplay. But as an experienced player, it can be really difficult not to just do stuff automatically in an environment where you're trying to teach other people. So when I went to the nether and I had blaze powder, the first thing I thought was, oh, I can make an ender chest now. But I was like, I have to save that for a time when it makes sense to introduce the ender chest. And so immediately crafting a handful of eyes of ender right after getting blaze powder just didn't really seem like an option. Um, so so this week I've I've started working with that. Pretty soon I'll be doing a lot more mining with that, and this week I'm also starting to introduce a bit more of the automation and redstone contraptions, uh, starting with the sugarcane farm. Uh, More of that in upcoming episodes of the podcast since I've done all of it now, but I want to talk about it a little bit at a time. But it's nice to be established in this world now, to have a base, to have a village that I'm trading with, to have you know a, a decent handful of resources at my disposal, and then start to figure out what are the next steps, what are the next quality of life things for my ongoing progress in this world and what is going to be lining itself up for the near future. So I know how most endgame players organize their ender chests from the outside. Like it's generally full of shulker boxes that are then sub-organized into different categories and groups. But, and I'm curious because I'm going to be watching this episode, 
as as you introduce the ender chest to uh to players and obviously you don't have shulker boxes yet so how are you organizing your ender chest at this stage of the playthrough at the moment i'm not really like i i sort of suggested a few things it could be used for and the main thing i see it as being useful for is mining at this stage in the game because it's something you can take with you grab a bunch of precious resources which are still right. fairly scarce at this point like i still don't have a stack of diamonds really like i've got maybe 40 or so in my my main chest at the minute i'm wearing diamond i've got full diamond armor i haven't gone looking for netherite or anything yet because that's a whole process at this point but at this stage i'm recommending hey you know there's a chance that you misplay while you're down there in the caves you aren't paying attention to your surroundings you fall in lava all of your stuff's gonna burn up but if it's all stored in your ender chest then it's safe and i'm trying to introduce it more as an aid to small aspects of gameplay rather than just as like a vault that you put all of your stuff in until we start to talk about shulker boxes and we have that available real estate to really do some of that and so i'm at the point now where i said you can maybe use it to transfer things between locations easily so if you've got a bunch of blocks that you want to take over to a different base you can do that you know you can throw a bunch of supplies in there to trade with villagers if you can't carry it all with you you can Mm -hmm. use it to harvest food from farms and then not have to carry all of that back with you it can just be there in your ender chest if you've still got other stuff you want to pick up you can go mining with it and then i'm thinking about the way i used to use an ender chest before shulker boxes existed which is a while ago at this point because i think they're introduced in 111 sort of around that time um but 1.9 was when shulkers were introduced but the boxes came a little later and before that it was really your diamonds go in here because i was mostly playing on multiplayer servers and it wasn't theft wasn't a concern although it is for some people but it was more let me make sure i have diamonds on me so that if i go to somebody's shop in the shopping district i can easily have access to my diamonds like the atm usage of ender chests but also backup gear goes in there. You know, you've got a a stack of torches, a stack of food, a decent pickaxe. You know, if you want to keep your fortune pickaxe in there when you're using silk touch or vice versa, that kind of thing. And and I think those are the uses of ender chests which have sort of fallen by the wayside now that shulker boxes are a thing and now that people are used to playing at endgame with a ton more options for how they organize their storage. But back in the day, that's what the ender chest was. I go back to my old decidedly vanilla SMP videos, and that's what I recall using my ender chest for, was just keeping backup gear in there in case I died somewhere. Yeah, I would keep, like, backup gear. I would keep a stack of food, stack of torches, as you said. Because, like, nothing is worse than, like, going caving and getting down into something and, and running out of your stack of 64 torches and then realizing you have to go all the way back or just drop your ender chest, grab another stack and keep on going. And so that kind of stuff I, I found very helpful. I would also keep like rare resources that you never really had much of, but you could you never quite knew when you might need it, you know, like magma cream or stuff for um, brewing, that kind of stuff, because you just at that early stage in the game, you didn't have stacks and stacks and stacks of it. You had like set, you know, six or seven. Mm-hmm. And you and I had that experience where like, I have that way back at my home base in a chest. I know right where it is, but what I need it, I need it on me now. You know? And so I used to put that kind of stuff in the inner chest. But now ultimately for me, one of the shulkers, which I unfortunately lost recently in my ender chest kind of has that breakdown. Like in that shulker is the torches, 
you know, like the, the extra ender chests, the extra crafting tables, like all that kind of stuff, uh, the, you know, the food, it, that's all in one of those shulker boxes that's in the ender chest. And so it, it's funny how you still have something that has that kind of like toolbox mentality, but it's now within its own thing in the ender chest as you get into end game. Yeah, you know, stack of coal, stack of logs, that kind of thing, yep. you know, all, all yep. of the stuff that, especially now when you can't get that stuff when you go down to deep slate levels, it's kind of, the, the those are the things that can really save your bacon if you've got them got them to hand. So yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I waxed lyrical, I gushed a little bit about how useful the ender chest is, mostly because I had missed it, but uh, mm. yeah, there's some fun topics coming up and I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing those as the weeks go on. Uh, what's new with you in the Citadel? So this week has been a light week on the Citadel. I reduced my streaming schedule this summer, so I'm now only streaming Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday for Minecraft, and then Friday remains the Lego Let's Chat. So I don't have uh, two extra days where I was, you know, streaming. Uh, I took Thursday to go down my list, pop around West Hill, and fill in or replace the remaining bookshelves with chiseled bookshelves. And man, what a difference. Like, oh, yeah, it really does change the way that you look at things. I still left some bookshelves where they were or in a couple of cases where it wasn't a big bookshelf, it made sense to just leave it as it was or have like a row of normal bookshelves at the top kind of out of reach and then have all the ones that would be more within player reach to be chiseled bookshelves uh, and have that kind of stuff go there. Uh, There were some drawbacks in some places. I noticed that in uh, one of my towers where I had like a corner bookshelf, the fact that regular bookshelves in minecraft are visible uh as having things on them from all sides which doesn't make any sense if you think about it geometrically (laughs) like the books would touch one another uh but it looks more full when you have two sides of a block that have the book texture on it and when you replace them with chiseled bookshelves of course you only get the one face that has the books on it so it did kind of reduce the busyness of a corner bookshelf that I had made. I do like it, but it was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Like when I put them down, I liked the the chiseled bookshelves better, but I, I absolutely noticed the, the shift in how it felt, you know, from being a very busy bookshelf with four faces of texture books to just the two faces. Um, I really, really like peppering books around, leaving holes where a book has either been removed uh, and because I've been using that armored statue data pack, there's several places around where I've got, you know, the way that a book kind of appears in the hand of a player, like sitting on a, on a table. And so you can do that thing where like you fill the bookshelf next to the table minus one book and then have that book on the table. And so that kind of stuff is really cool. It kind of adds that life to, uh, to a build. Uh, the other place that I, I noticed a big difference was in the Adventures Guild, where there's just a whole bunch of books, which we're assuming are probably like filled with maps or directions or notes from abroad. And uh, having those shelves be full near the bottom, but then less full at the top kind of gave you that feeling of like, this is a busy shop, like there's things going in and out. And the person that is behind the counter helping you find where you want to go, they might be, you know, organizing these books in a very specific way. And it just adds so much life to have the bookshelves be a little bit empty. And I really, really wish in some future update, they let us put more things in the bookshelves than just books. Because I don't know about you, when I look around my apartment, I have all kinds of things on my bookshelves that are not books. Mostly <laughs> yeah. Lego, mostly Lego. But, and, and I mean, hey, give us Lego and Minecraft, I'll be very happy. But, <laughs> but, um, but I'm saying like, the obvious thing to me would be things like uh, potions. 
you know, like we can put books and enchanted books in the bookshelves and they kind of mention that as their uses when they sh showed it to us um, from Mojang. But I think that having potions lined up on these things, which wouldn't be that difficult to do in terms of like, you know, we put a book in, we put a t book out. It's it's one for one, you know, and uh, I think that the, the bottleneck would be on the art team because, of course, now potions all have different colors, you know, and if you put various different potions on the bookshelf, then they'd be in different spots. But like, it's the kind of thing where like I walked into my apothecary and I was looking around for a place to put a bookshelf and I did end up putting them behind the counter because I really like the top texture of the bookshelf. And it looks like it could be a brewing stand used to be there and it's left marks on the counter sort of thing. Uh, and, and that kind of idea made me think like, man, wouldn't it be cool if in this apothecary I could have bookshelves lined up along the wall and have bottles lining, you know, empty bottle, bottles full of different potions, have all the different colors. It would be very, very cool. And it doesn't seem to be something that would like break the game or like change the way that people do potions. It's not like you can stack tons of potions. They're only going to hold six, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's not a lot. Um, but speaking of, of a lot of materials, that is definitely something I noticed. Boy, did I go through leather and paper to make books for these bookshelves yeah. because I was putting between four and five books in every bookshelf and I was putting stacks of bookshelves, chiseled bookshelves, excuse me, everywhere, <laughs> you know? So, so that was, was a lot of work. I, and I do, I did have a, um, a big sugar cane in the modern city that I went and, and pulled a bunch of stuff from. Uh, then the bottleneck was leather, but then I remembered that we have the data pack on the server where if you smelt zombie rotten flesh, it gives you leather. Right, so yeah, really useful. I just, I, yeah, I went back to one of my early storage systems in um, the barn in one of the farms. And of course, when you're there early in the zone, there's no torches anywhere. So I was killing zombies all the time. And I just kept the zombie flesh because I thought like, well, why not? You know, the rotten flesh because I know I've got this data pack. But of course, since then I've forgotten because once you have like, two stacks of leather for uh, item frames. Unless you're making like books and bookshelves, then you're really not using it that much. And so uh, I never thought I'm going to need two stacks of, of leather. Well, now when you've got chiseled bookshelves, I'd say you want to keep three or four stacks of leather around just to kind of have when you think you might need them because you go through books really, really quickly. Yeah, uh, for my, the, uh, the bookshelves. my go to for that is librarian villages, the ones that will occasionally yes. in their early trades trade you full bookshelves. And, yep. you know, if you've zombified and cured them, you're getting a bookshelf or two for an emerald. And then you just break those down, you get three books every time. And I find that or if you've got a convenient woodland mansion, maybe one in chunks that you've reset recently because you're like, oh, armor trim, go through there and raid one of their libraries and you'll have probably five or six stacks of books. Also strongholds, I guess, as well, are kind of yes. similar with the libraries in those. But obviously, once you've been through those, you need a renewable source of them. And sometimes the cows, the sugarcane, all of that stuff, you'll have automated farms for and it makes sense. But if you don't, I think villages are a pretty good source of it. Like that's that's probably the the place I would turn if I wanted them in a hurry, at least. And I would say the average sugarcane and cow farm would not be enough to keep up if you have a big build with chiseled bookshelves. Like mm -hmm. one or two, you'll be okay. But if you've got to place a couple dozen chiseled bookshelves, I would say you're probably going to go through uh, your your sugarcane and your leather really quickly because if it's just you you probably don't have a massive cow farm like you're probably not like having an ill mango scale kind of cow farm and I, and I think that that's um a good point about the bookshelves because that's what I ended up doing uh I think it was 
Cosmic or somebody else in my chat mentioned like, hey, you're ripping out all these old vanilla bookshelves and replacing them with the um, the chisel bookshelves. If you run out of books, just use a non-silk touch axe yeah, on yeah. the dozen or two bookshelves that you've removed. Because by the time I got back to my storage system, I was just like, I don't need a stack and a half of normal vanilla bookshelves. Half a stack is probably what all I need to really keep around just for decor. So I broke the other ones down in, into books. Um, and it's a, it's a, it, you forget about it. And I forget, I forget about the villager trade, you know, cause I don't have a big trading hall for myself. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that's on my to-do list when I'm done with, with West Hill. But speaking of the, um, the storage facility, actually, that's one of the things that I, um, I updated uh, a little bit. So I've been working in this basement that has been like a temporary storage facility underneath the keep for two years. And the, it's always been temporary. And what I did was I, I updated it to make more structural sense and give me a little bit more room upstairs as I, as I move towards decorating the upstairs of the keep. And so there was a set of stairs that came down through the kitchen and it worked well. It was very easy to access. And, um, I decided I wanted more room in the kitchen. And when I was looking after expanding the keep, um, what happened was what used to be the outside wall of the keep now became a wall kind of like in the middle of the basement. And I expanded the, the outside, the south wall by four or five blocks. So I thought, I wonder where that hooks up to. And I, I followed it up vertically and did all the coordinate checking. And it turns out that the column is actually part of the main fat tower that I added to the keep that now houses the stairs. Right. So I thought, brilliant. I'll just take the stairs and run them all the way down to the basement. Uh, it's a little bit different in that it separates the upstairs uh, so it's not one spiral staircase that goes the entire length. There's a there's a stop off where the upstairs comes out into the main hall. So you kind of think all the people that would live in the keep, the person that would run the town would be going upstairs. The downstairs is only accessible through the kitchen. So like staff, maids, perhaps guards would be going downstairs. So it's not a complete spiral, but it does take you back downstairs. It makes more structural sense. And this is what I, I liked about it is that it gave me kind of like a anchor point to think about what else I wanted to do. And so because of the natural way that the stairs came out uh, down into the basement, they were two blocks higher than where I was standing and working for the last couple of years. And I thought like, I'm just arbitrarily down this low. I don't have to be this low. Uh, and so what I did was I, I, I added two blocks to the floor, raised a chunk of the floor up to bring me up with um, uh, level 64 or 63 because um, I had expanded the keep out into the river. And if I had kept the floor low, I would have had to like have the floor be below water level and I would have had to remove a bunch of water. And I was like, you know what? Let's just raise it up. I don't think the difference between a nine and a seven block ceiling is going to matter that much. It lines up better with the stairs. And it also made me think about the structure. And I wanted to add arches uh, in this big room because otherwise you're just like, this place kind of looks like it's going to collapse on itself. And I wanted it to feel like it's the basement of a castle that's going to have probably more rooms than I'm going to have because uh, I, I don't want it to feel small. Mm -hmm. In Minecraft, I find when you divide spaces down too much, they just start to feel claustrophobic because of how thick the walls are and stuff. So yeah. I, I, I did section off a little bit. I've got a dungeon. There's two. There's going to be two cells in the dungeon. Uh, the Most of it's going to be a distillery, I think, still. And then I've got this other section that happened to be where I went over the river uh, and I put in like a grate, kind of like a drainage grate. And it was kind of like this weird, morbid brain fart of like, well, this could be the torture chamber and maybe where they just dispose of people, or it could be the drain for the distillery. 
I'll just I'll decide later. So it's I've just kind of put it very temporarily in the ground because like I should put a drain here. It looks cool. It adds that idea of function. Um, and I did I did have to tear down the other examples that I had of these um, kind of like copper stills. They're a combination of uh, copper blocks, acacia logs, and honey blocks. So the idea is like maybe it's like a honey mead kind of distillery. Sure, yeah. Um, and, and they had like a little torch inside. So I very carefully took some screenshots as I dismantled them because they were just there as like examples. This trick that I do where like I build something in an idea or I get something functional and then it's like, okay, I'm going to be walking by this for the next couple of months as I do other things in the area. And this is either going to rub me the wrong way or it's going to look really cool and I'm going to like it. And I do like these. So I'm, I'm probably going to build them maybe bigger or maybe probably in more numbers. And I can't decide if I'm going to hide my storage system and keep it there because it's a bulk storage for like grass, dirt, stone, wood, that kind of stuff. And I needed it functionally to complete West Hill, but it doesn't need to stay there now that West Hill is so close to finished. The problem, of course, is I've got double chests full of all kinds of stuff that I don't necessarily want to move around. So I have to make a decision if I'm going to hide it, if I'm going to try to like make it look like it might be part of the distillery. I, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Uh, but really all I wanted to do was make the basement feel more like a designed basement of a keep, but still keep it my shulker box monster of doom and have like everything kind of nestled into the wall. So for now, it still still looks like a player base, but I'm struggling with where to move all this stuff. As I get finished in West Hill, there is an old ruin that has like a storage in the basement that used to be uh, my friend Megan's tower. And so eventually I'll be moving some stuff out there, but it's really far away from like if I wanted to decorate the keep insides or if I wanted to do a little bit of decor inside the town. So I really want to make sure that everything in the town is done. I'll decorate the basement and that'll be the last thing I do in the town. And then I'll move out to like, you know, finishing off the rivers and finishing off the graveyard and stuff like that. Um, but that that's basically what I did. It wasn't the most exciting build stream. There was a lot of reorganizing, a lot of moving stuff around, uh, a little bit of measuring and stuff like that. But I feel better about the space and it's really cool to see the gradient of deep slate and tough and cobble that I did on the outside of the south wall that you can see on the inside of the basement now that I've removed all the extra walls that didn't need to be there. So I'm hoping to kind of get some more texture happening because in a lot of cases, the walls are like three blocks thick because Joel, past Joel was thinking uh, and left himself some room. Same with the ceiling. The ceiling is about three blocks thick as well. So if I decide to add any kind of relief to the ceiling, I do have the room to do it. Yeah, it's amazing how that gradient makes the interior look nice and gloomy. You know, I think the, yes. the extra texture mm -hmm. there really does help. And I also forget how good stripped acacia looks with copper. Like you could really imagine yeah. that being part of a copper structure that's just seen a bit of wear and tear. And when I get around yeah. to it, I really want to build some industrial looking stuff where there's a lot of copper pipes running around. And I think for the straight sections of the pipes so that you don't have the tiled texture of full copper blocks or cut copper i think stripped acacia is definitely the way to go so i'm going to be storing that one in the uh, in the in the brain bank for a little bit later on thanks man yeah it was it's a lot of fun to build and with the trap doors and uh the honey if you put a torch inside then the builds uh are a little bit brighter they light themselves up yeah, a little bit more yeah. and i'm pretty sure i designed that before candles were a thing so uh -huh. you could you could you could control the light more if you if you put one to three candles inside instead of um a full torch or i guess even four candles is only what 12 yeah it's level? 12 i think it's so, three per candle yeah 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 so like so you can control it more now than than you could before uh alternatively instead of uh instead of honey we now have um 
you could put shroom lights in there. You could put a frog light in there. You could put a bunch of different stuff if you wanted to have a different feel uh, for what what's uh, what's inside, like something like a shroom light with like red glass in front of it might look more like a reddish color. I don't know. You, you could have some fun with it, I think. Yeah, for sure. I remember doing some distillery kind of builds in the original survival guide castle that I did in, in season one and having like magma blocks in there. So it was like bubbling on the inside and looked like something was kind of fermenting in there, which was a uh, a fun way to build it. So worth doing just definitely a good thematic build for a castle like this moving on into uh the news this week there really isn't any once again we are pretty quiet on all fronts and uh no news is good news for the most part although with my pc potentially being away for the next couple of weeks this is a great time for mojang to continue the streak of releasing important updates while i'm on holiday uh so so we'll see if anything gets reported on by next week's show but uh for now everything seems uh, relatively chill on the mojang front so because everything has been pretty mellow about the feedback on the the update, I did have something that I keep on noticing, and that is I really have kind of a blah reaction to the panorama for 1.20. I really don't feel it's bright enough to show off how lovely the cherry groves really are. You're talking about they like try... the, the menu screen, like when you the log menu into, screen, yeah, the Java, menu, yeah, the menu screen panorama when you log into Java, yeah. Uh, they're wanting to make it look like a sunset, but without shaders, it's just dark. <laughs> like it's just, it doesn't really strike me as the, the, the experience that you have in game when you find yourself coming up on a cherry grove. I'm surprised they didn't make it brighter like first thing in the morning or even midday. It feels very, very dark. But it made me think just kind of as a bit of a devil's advocate question, because I, I can think of maybe one answer to this, but I wanted to know your two cents. We have an update to the Minecraft launcher. And a lot of the launcher stuff, a lot of the promotional material we see around Minecraft uh, updates are either animated trailers or they have very polished, you know, rendered screenshots in a specific style. But I think that the mood videos that they've been sharing on YouTube over the last little while do a really good job of explaining the vibe of the trailer. Really good example is Minecraft soothing scenes, the relaxing cherry grove. I wonder why that isn't the background on the menu screen. It's It communicates almost everything that's happening in the update. You've got sniffers that pop in from time to time. I, there wasn't any armor trim that I saw, but like there's cherry wood, there's the cherry groves, there's the falling petals, there's all this stuff. And I don't think you, you'd be miscommunicating to anybody. Like no one thinks that Minecraft looks like that. It's pretty obviously promotional material, but it would be such a, a, a cozier more fun bright vibrant you know way to sit there at the loading screen compared to what we have now so what like what are your thoughts on changing the panorama to be not like an in-game shot of java minecraft to something a little bit more markety or promotional see i think the reason that people don't think minecraft looks like that is because in most cases when it comes to you loading up the game minecraft shows you a screenshot of the game you know what i mean i i right. do wonder that if they suddenly posted one of those up as the panorama on the main menu people would think oh wow minecraft's had a graphical overhaul and i am gonna get all of that stuff like pe people are very easily led when it comes to stuff like that and so using assets from in-game using a, an actual in-game panorama makes a lot of sense to me and i do think 
you'd see some pushback on it from players who'd say like, well, suddenly I'm going to think that they've updated the graphics and there's going to be realistic lighting and stuff. And I, I, I expect people might just do that for the sake of argument because people tend to do that. But I get the sense that Minecraft is, at least in in-game terms, very good at showing you what it is without embellishment. And yeah, in the case of the promotional material and, and the sort of YouTube, like, chill-out videos, the kind of ambience for for background co-working or whatever it is, I can see why they've adopted that style, because for a start, there are going to be tons of people who just upload Minecraft videos with soothing music with in-game gameplay, and this feels like something that their art team can work on and their promotional teams can work on, and it... And it has its own unique style it feels like something that's more difficult for the community to reproduce so it feels authentically like it's come from the minecraft team but i think that's where it needs to stay personally uh because i i don't have too many problems with the menu panorama but i can kind of see what you mean like i think it's more of like a dusky kind of scene so it's not as bright as like full you know full gameplay might be but i think it still presents an important gateway into what minecraft is probably going to look like if you're loading it up for the first time i think especially if part of the goal of some of these newer updates is to bring new players in i can't imagine what it'd be like bringing new players in the first thing they see is a screenshot that doesn't look like the minecraft they're about to play i think it might create too much of a false impression Right. I mean, and and, that, and that's the argument that I anticipated. Like, that's that's what I would think would be the answer and why I thought like, well, this is kind like I already know the answer to this, but it was it would be an interesting uh, discussion. One thing I, I wanted to add to that would be like, what if they gave us the option? Like, what if the default is what we get? Like the panorama has it always has been, you know, and some of them has been have been better than others. Like, don't get me wrong. They're, they're not all bad. Um, but if you have the option to then change it to which i know you can do with like a texture pack if you have another panorama that you like you can do your own i know yeah. Exumavoid does that with like bases over hermitcraft over his different seasons if you're a big fan you can just kind of have his stuff in the background um which could also be a panorama captured with shaders on which might be different you know like you could just you could do the same thing you can go in and find your own cherry grove turn on your shaders and perhaps capture a, a panorama and then make it up so like there are ways to change it but if we had an option of like here's the default this is what the game looks like oh by the way if you prefer pink and and sniffers you could also have this i might even look into it because i think it would just it's a, a much more sunshiny way to to load up the game but i just i wanted to be devil's advocate for a little bit and just kind of like see where that might go sure i i think it's a fun idea and yeah like resource packs for panoramas would be really cool you know a couple of weeks ago they had a change for i can't remember if it was for 19.4 or 119.4 if it was for 1.20 in which you could load directly into a specific world from either clicking multiplayer or single player right like it there, yes. there was a, yep. mm -hmm. a, a feature that allowed direct loading into instead of you having to go to a multiplayer menu or a list of worlds what if that could also like change the panorama to the world that you're directly linking to so it feels oh, even more immersive like it's it's yeah. already there on the menu screen you're looking at a panorama of your spawn point on your multiplayer server or your your base on your single player world i think that would kind of be a nice touch again something a player could do themselves if they have the know-how but taking panoramic screenshots from within game is not all that easy you'd have to 
yeah you know find some kind of yeah 3d camera mod for it like replay mod can render three 3d um 360 videos you know um but yeah there'd there'd be uh some some things like that but yeah the quick play feature would be uh kind of a neat way of of changing that around i don't remember what game it was but i'm sure i have played a game in the last couple of years where the menu screen changed like not like every time you loaded up the game there'd be a selection of like five or six and like you didn't know what you were going to get and it would feature like a character or something like that uh i know that similar to minecraft satisfactory updates their background every time they make an update but it's it's similar to minecraft where like it is the same for the entire update seven and then when update eight happens it's a new background yeah and that you know makes sense but it would be interesting if there would be a way to have a selection so like you said like you've got you know your world that you might want to quick play into but what if you had a, a couple of different builds or a couple of different worlds that you really liked and then you could have it be like a random thing in, in the same way that the little phrase at the top of the the menu screen the you like know, the splash neat, text yeah that. yeah the splash text is, is rotating through a number of different things right um it would be neat if you could have a number of different things from the update like even if it isn't a panorama what if it's like a screenshot of sniffers and a screenshot of uh, a cherry grove and a screenshot of um, of armor trim or a, pl- a player in armor trim or you in armor trim if you've got that screenshot it'd be interesting if that would be because that has to be something that would be pretty easy to put together as like a data pack or a mod which is like here throw these screenshots into a folder and we'll just rotate through them whenever you upload yeah, you know it, um, it load becomes up like a like a slideshow of your holiday snaps or a you know usb photo frame <laughs> of all of your Minecraft screenshots yeah yeah yeah. yeah, that'd be kind of kind of cute um (laughs) so right now trails and tales is a month old um and the fact that we're debating what should be on the login screen as opposed to you know oh this feature didn't turn out right i think is is a fairly representative sample of community reaction i think the community reaction to this update a month on feels pretty balanced like there's a lot of people out there who i think are just enjoying minecraft for what it is i still see people getting excited about armor trims and finding stuff like that it, it really feels like the most controversial thing they have done recently has changed the desktop icon for the minecraft launcher so a lot of people not happy about the fact that it's a creeper face now but um yeah out, outside of that i think uh, the update seems to have been fairly well neutral to well received i think so uh, that's again no news is good news on that front no no big yeah. no big controversy no this is the mild update i think hopefully people are people are just out there enjoying the game which is what we like to see here i'm not one of those people that will rage against the icon change but i do notice it every time yeah like i, I do go oh right, right 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 it's different like i just you know i don't care but it just i absolutely am noticing that it's different and i can see why they've done it because the grass block or i think it's a dirt block if you load up a snapshot version of the game correct but yep. the, the mm-hmm. grass block on your taskbar is the open minecraft instance and right. it yeah. helps to differentiate that from this is the icon you click on to launch the launcher. And so them having the same icon before was potentially confusing to people. You can see why they wanted to make the distinction between the two. Yep. But people are so resistant to like tiny changes like that. They're like, oh, you know, the desktop icon means so much to me. I'm like, you can probably change that in Windows. <laughs> you can probably, yeah. probably just right click on it and change the properties or something. It's also, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say when it was two grass blocks, one of them was a cartoony grass block and that was the launcher and the other one was a like grass block like you would hold in your inventory yeah uh much in java minecraft indicating the difference between the two now i don't play bedrock on this pc so i don't know whether bedrock would have the bedrock different the bedrock icon was one. just like the front face of the texture it was like a 2d 
plain with the, oh, with okay. the grass block texture yep. on it. Yeah, right. So and I think maybe windows, a little yeah. bit like shaded and stylized. Like I, I have the Minecraft Dungeons launcher icon on this desktop on the PC I'm recording from, and that mm. one's like a grass block, but with the colors sort of inverted slightly, so it looks like a a gravel block with lava coming down from the top of it, kind of in that fiery Minecraft Dungeons kind of mm. vibe. Mm. But that looks like a little bit. A little bit textured, a little bit shaded, like it's got a, a touch more 3D going on in the in the texture of the icon. So I think they did a bit of that with the bedrock icon as well. But I'm not sure what the bedrock icon looks like now. I should look I should look for that. That would be an interesting conversation to have, you know, about the graphic design and the UI design of Minecraft. You know, like not not the blocks, not the textures, but like, you know, the actual buttons and different things that you have to interact with in, in the game and how they because it's so pixelated and so retro, right? But then it still has to communicate like new things, you know, these new fancy pots and shirts that we've got, and they have to become icons and items and all this kind of stuff. It's, the it's, the iconography, the iconography yeah. of Minecraft sounds like a discussion we need to get one of the people from the art team on to talk, oh, talk sure. to them about the uh, the work that they do. It would be great. Um, but in the meantime, let's talk to some of you about the work that you do and get into chunk mail. Uh, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And every episode, we like to read one or two emails from folks. We have a chunk mail dispenser episode where we read a few more. But it's always nice to know what people are getting up to in the community. And Joel is going to read you this first email. First one comes in from Evil Shadow or Shadow. Whoa, whoa. There's two W's. So I don't know. <laughs> Armor Trim Fragments. Hello, Pix and Joel. I hope you're doing well. In episode 252, you guys talked about different villagers from different biomes trading different things. Boats are the only item that varies from biome to biome currently. There are seven different villager outfits based on biomes. Five of the outfits spawn naturally. What if there was a villager trade which gives you, the player, only a fragment of an armor trim, like the fragment of disc five? In order to make a complete villager armor trim, quote unquote, players would have to trade with all the villagers, likely the armorer, in all of the different biomes. This could be an in-game hint that there are swamp and jungle biome villager outfits too, since a recipe would unlock after trading the first trim fragment and would once again promote exploration, suggesting the player find all of the different villagers and the jungle and swamp villagers. This trade could cost a diamond and maybe an emerald too, to balance that armor trims require seven diamonds to duplicate. Players could duplicate the trim the normal way or keep the trading. It would cost the exact same number of diamonds. Thank you for reading. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Evil Shadow dreamt about villager noises after spending the whole day trying to get all of the fragments. <laughs> I occasionally dream in villager noises. It's a, a confusing, confusing Disconcerting way to live. would be <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no, I love a collect them up. Like, like that idea. And... I think encouraging people to seek out the Easter egg villages for the jungle and swamp biomes is a fun way of establishing that. It might be quite a tall order, like that that's quite a dedicated track of gameplay to go down, is not only interacting with all of the different villages that exist out there in the world naturally, but also presumably either finding or curing zombie villages from the extra two biomes. And I think they only spawn naturally in very rare circumstances or when you're breeding villagers in those biomes specifically. So that's, yeah, that that's a, a pretty challenging thing to do. But I do like the fact that there's that this idea has in-game ways of hinting at the fact that those exist. I think that's a really neat thing. Kind of like the way 
it made total sense to add ruined nether portals to the game because that teaches you that you can get to the nether. Right. I, th- I think that that makes a lot of sense. And so gameplay that can kind of lead you in a specific direction seems like a very Minecraft thing to do. And I think it's a good example of the armor trim feature being expandable whenever the art team at Mojang has the bandwidth or whatever one more thing makes sense with an update. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the where the armor trims are aesthetic, collectibles like that, they don't really change anything. They're not going to affect PvP. They're not going to affect, you know, mechanics like progression or um speed runs or anything like that. Like it's just it's purely something that you can just add for the fun of it. Uh and and gives players something else to do, something else to collect. Um, maybe there's an achievement, you know, that they might or a, or a advancement that they ad- add to the the roster for it. Um I would say the one thing that would have to be true about it, which I believe is it was the spirit of the email, which is that the villager armor trim would have to be unique and not an alternative way to get some of the other trim. Like you don't want to be running around collecting like fragments of the coast trim or some other trim because you want, you don't want to undermine the exploration to, to get those, you know? Yeah. What, what if a villager armor trim, like chest plate, for example, changed if not like the position of your arms then at least it had like art on it that kind of signified the way that villagers hold their arms where they're kind of like clasped in the middle what, oh, what, yeah. if, what if it like changed the player so that you were you were running around with like villager body you, you kind of like you, you're you're <laughs> if, if you're holding a sword or you're holding something in your main hand or your offhand they both appear in the middle of your chest <laughs> so you're just you're just like frantically holding stuff in both hands right up close to your chest and like swinging a sword from there and stuff i think it'd be kind of fun like you don't see that many aside from in bedrock edition where you can change your character's height around a little bit there's really nothing that changes the shape of the player model and armor right. is the closest thing we get to that because some of the armor is a slightly different shape and it's all just layers on top of the player skin, right? But it would be yeah. really funny if trimming the armor in that case didn't do much for the design of the armor in terms of the texture, but it changed the shape of the armor. The model of the armor was different. Like that'd be a, a, a fun twist and especially rewarding, I think, if you'd gone to all of the trouble to get the villager armor trim to begin with. It reminds me of those people that run around in those inflatable T-Rex costumes yes <laughs> the dinosaurs yeah absolutely where, or that thing you did as a kid where you bring your elbows inside your t-shirt and you just have your wrists yeah, out and you're like a little dinosaur that. and you have this, the little the little t-rex hands like that would be hilarious there was, there was <laughs> i a can joke. only imagine there was a joke for a while that where um back when villagers before the village and pillage update villagers were very kind of plain they had just like a couple of different colors of robes or outfits and that's how you could tell this was a librarian because they're wearing a white coat and this was a, a, a cleric because they had a, a pink coat and the the librarians in white coats always looked like they had straight jackets on and so yeah people would be like well here's the straight jacket villager who's going to trade me the books um right yeah i i imagine it being something like that it, it'd be a a bizarre look for a player but i think it'd be quite funny it could be neat if it did have uh, like a different shape to it, because like all of the other armor trim, like all the chest plates have shoulder pads on them. And because of the way that the villagers hold their arms, like I wonder if it would make sense if it was just like a have you ever seen those chest plates that don't have pauldrons like, mm-hmm. you know, in, yeah. in armor um, games and video games? It would be neat if it was just like a vest, you know, like just like a. Uh, a sleeveless kind of vest for something different or if it was longer because the, the villagers have robes. So maybe like it's more of like a chainmail, kind of like how you know when Gimli puts on the chainmail in the two towers and it goes all the way down to his feet. Yeah, <laughs> like th- that kind of stuff. It could be neat to have more like a um, 
it would be neat to have chainmail in general as as the armor trim from the villagers like if you wanted to have that thing but i guess that that changes it from being a trim template that you could apply to all armor right yeah yeah to, have, to something more unique like uh, a model have you tried applying any or seen any armor trim applied to chainmail armor not as of yet i haven't actually done the the application i have a couple of armor trim but they've all been gifts from from server mates traveling around sure there's a there's a couple of player made websites that actually allow you to mock up armor trim designs i i forget exactly what oh, they cool. are maybe some folks in our live chat can can point them out to us and we can include them in the show notes but um i've Absolutely. heard these mentioned a couple of places and i think i've used one of them once or twice i forget the exact name um but it's kind of like how you can design your own banners on planet minecraft uh, mine trim thank you uh, jumbo in the chat has just provided that mindtrim.com um so you can you can play around with the different designs and get an idea for what you want to go after for a specific armor trim design and so there you can try out if you wouldn't have the resources to do it in game um trying to overlay armor trims on chainmail armor it looks really different like it actually incentivizes me i think to try chainmail armor more at least for like armor stands and stuff because suddenly you're seeing the inside of the armor trim texture through the texture of the chainmail and so oh, it, yeah. it makes it so much easier for you to put that on an armor stand and it's like the uh the the chainmail thing it, it kind of it almost feels like it's invisible and what it's displaying is like a tiara or something right i feel like you can use that for a lot more decorative touches than you can regular armor which has a completely opaque texture and you're only seeing really like the outside so i encourage people to try out some chainmail with armor trim it, it, even if you're just mocking it up on mine trim i think it's a really fun application of the new armor trim feature so may maybe give a second thought to chainmail if you hadn't already i'm looking over this website now and trying to find an author but man this is well done so simple great ui you don't have to click to see the updates you can just kind of mouse over stuff really really slick yeah yeah like well done all round. they've done a yeah, fantastic we job will absolutely have a link to this in the show notes Yes. Um, anyway, moving on from that, we have a second email. This one comes in from Spectavamp with the subject of Wandering Circus Man? Question mark. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I have a new idea for you guys. I've heard a lot of talk recently around the Wandering Trader being boring or annoying, and also around the scarce availability of camels. What if, instead of coming with two llamas on leads, the Wandering Trader came either riding or leading a camel? I've always felt the llamas felt rather placeholder as camels didn't exist back in 1.14 when they were introduced. Having him lead a camel would feel on theme to me and would also help with camel availability. Having to transport two camels from possibly thousands of blocks away to your base can be especially painful, so having the trader bring at least one of them to you could help that. This also doesn't remove the need to search for a desert as you still can't breed the camels without cactus. Love to hear your thoughts. Spectavamp was shot by a trader llama because he kept trying to feed it cactus. I love this idea. Uh, I think with how frequent Wandering Trader shows up, though, it, it would have to be a chance to have a camel. Yeah, sort of like would a... Would be better than every time. Ev every other trader or like every fourth or fifth yeah. trader turns up with a camel instead of yeah. a pair of llamas. Yeah. Yeah. Even honestly, even one in 10, because like it's, I, I am constantly dealing with the Wandering <laughs> Trader. Like yeah. it just, he's always around. Now it could be because I spend so much time in one spot. Like I'm not traveling all over the place. Like I'm in West Hill, like almost all the time. Um, so I think it might be a little bit too easy if every time he showed up with a camel. Um, I wonder though, why the Wandering Trader comes with two llamas and not just one? 
You know what I mean? Like it just, it, this, the idea of leading one camel makes sense. The idea of leading two camels makes like that's overkill. I guess it's because if, if the player wanted to breed cam uh, llamas, then they would have two and they wouldn't have to wait for another wandering trader. But it, like, it's just weird. Like the idea of bringing in a camel single makes so much sense to me. And then I just look back at llamas going like, well, why do we have two llamas? I'm I'm also wondering because we were talking earlier about the the gameplay kind of teaching the player something about Minecraft as it happens. I wonder if it's if one of the leads breaks and he's still leading one llama but not the other, then the second llama will still follow because of that llama oh. programming where it becomes a caravan. I'm kind of wondering if that's to sort of subtly teach players, hey, you can have multiple llamas following you without having multiple leads. Like that, that right. could be part of it. I mean, it could just be like, sure, they wanted yeah. the guy to show up. He's got two llamas. Like it's a, it's a character, whatever. Um, yeah. But I, I am kind of, I'm curious if that's part of the reasoning for him having two. Um, but yeah, like the, the llamas are a unique design right now. Like you don't, you can't add the, the Wandering Trader outfit to any other llamas. So I think uh, removing that entirely in favor of camels wouldn't be the right move. I think... I agree with you. Making it a rare chance to uh, to have a camel show up um, would be would be really good. It would make camels more easily found, and it would certainly prevent like yeah the the long journeys with camels. I would obviously encourage them to you know go out in search of a village to get your first camel anyway. So I wouldn't want it to sort of over that that be like the primary way people get camels. Because like you, the, the Wandering Trader shows up so frequently for me that I feel like you just get a bunch of them even if you didn't want them at that yeah. point. Um, the fact that he shows up with llamas does make sense because llamas are beasts of burden in the game. You can apply chests to them. And so it makes sense that he's brought them to carry his wares, although it makes less sense that A, they don't come with chests, and B, he's only selling six items, <laughs> which you can have in your inventory anyway. Um, but yeah, obviously more than that if you're using data packs and whatnot. But I think um, I think the Wandering Trader could maybe bring a camel around every so often. I wouldn't mind that. So my cartoonist brain went down a weird little rabbit hole for whatever reason after I heard about llamas and camels and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could breed camels and llamas and create llamas? Uh, <laughs> and then that spiraled down the drain of like, what if we could breed mobs together in Minecraft and get mutant hybrids? Like that's a mod pack that I would play. I'm not saying <laughs> sure. I want it in the vanilla game, but like as a one-off experience, I would love to ride around on a spider pig in my fantasy mutant hybrid world in Minecraft. I just, it would be endless hilarity of like you know parrot cows and cat bees and like there'd be all kinds of stuff i mean cat bees i know members of our community that would their felt their faces would melt off with the cuteness if cat bees were a thing mm -hmm. you know what I mean? yeah. like that would be hilarious because i've not seen that in any mod packs i've seen different kinds of mobs you know like ducks and chickens and things like that different kind of fish but i've not seen like any kind of real imaginary um almost like I guess Pokemon or or the Pokemon mods in Minecraft are sort of like that because Pokemon tend to be like, you know, two animals mashed together. But my brain goes more towards like um, Platypus Bear from Avatar The Lost Airbender. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a Pokemon fan game called, I think, Pokemon Fusions in which you can fuse two Pokemon together as well. So you can put like, you know, you, the, the, the face and the electrical properties of a Pikachu with like a completely different, like a water type Pokemon and, and, and mash them up a little bit. But yeah, that that gets into like crazy territory pretty quickly so it's uh it's a fun idea for sure 
While we're on the subject of fun ideas, though, uh, this time around for our discussion topic, we wanted to talk about whether restrictions breed creativity, especially with Minecraft being a sandbox game with relatively few restrictions. We've noticed, of course, that it leads to players imposing restrictions upon themselves in the name of keeping the game interesting. And I wanted to talk about um, whether that's stuff that we typically do, if that kind of gameplay appeals to us, and really what makes Minecraft such an appealing game for this. And this really arose out of me kind of taking everything one step at a time in survival guide right now you know like i said restricting myself to not crafting an ender chest as soon as i have the availability the resources to do so and there's definitely something to be said for playing slowly not rushing to the end game not getting overpowered and then spending a lot more time appreciating each feature for for what it is um but then challenge runs are obviously not a unique concept to minecraft but there's a lot of them out there for this game perhaps because of the sandbox nature and the size of the player base but it can't just be that that keeps people trying new things and i think i think really the mojang team has done a great job of providing tools for players to mess around with the default state of minecrafts and it continues to do so so like think about the game rules that have been added recently to allow people to limit whether you can skip the night by sleeping or a certain amount of players have to sleep on a server um things like hardcore mode and peaceful mode are still you know long-term features of java minecraft which are pretty popular for challenge modes like hardcore was an incredibly popular thing for a while and still is but you've got game rules like limited hp or removing natural health regeneration from 1.16 onwards you could do an entire survival run tool progression with without ever leaving the nether um you can change the world border to set to, to a small radius around you and obviously challenge maps like skyblock or say a custom cavern dimension where you don't really get to see the sky and the entire thing is like in a massive cave stuff like that has been part of the minecraft experience for a very very long time aside from that you have self-imposed challenges which are pretty popular you know people challenge themselves to build everything within a chunk but without the world border restrictions so you can go out and gather resources but anytime you build anything with them it's got to be within a specific area there are some people who adopt a vegetarian lifestyle in minecraft and kind of you know reflect their real life preferences or try stuff like that out some people are vegans so they can't use leather or they can't go fishing or anything and they have to try and still eke out a living in minecraft and I wanted to talk about whether or not that's the stuff that we're interested in, uh, if we would consider trying these out just as a challenge, or if we're considering adopting any of those for our regular gameplay. In general, just for me, I'm not the most competitive person. So imposing restrictions like time trials or skill testing tasks in Minecraft doesn't really float my boat. Uh, but I think it's really cool that players can design their own challenges, mini games, or like you said, different restrictions like the whole vegan thing or peaceful mode or, or things like that, which I think has even led to some mod packs out there that, you know, give players like that other options, you know, where by by following those kind of rules, you might end up bottlenecking yourself to the point where like, well, I can't really progress through the game without killing a cow or without doing something that I don't want to do. And, and by having those mod packs out there that help with that, I think that's really, really cool, innovative kind of ways of, of adding things to the game. One of my favorite restrictions that I saw come out in the last little while uh, was actually uh, Slice Lime showcasing data packs. I think it was around when data packs first became available. 
And I feel like one of them was like a world border thing in a ring where I don't remember the criteria, but after a certain amount of time, I'm guessing the world border would slowly expand started a chunk and it would go up by like a block or two blocks or I, I don't remember the math on it i i and think the- i remember one of these happening i'm not sure if it's the exact one you're talking about but there's a group called farlanders who make a series of maps called captive minecraft and the world border oh, just okay. starts as like a chunk around you or like a, a, a very small area around you every time you earn an advancement it expands oh, okay. by like a block mm. or half a block or something right. and so you still have to follow the progression and that in itself sets a series of challenges for you can you still do all of this stuff within a single chunk or within the the area that you have accessible to you in the world border but then you know getting your first pickaxe and you know that that kind of stuff accelerates stuff very fast and then it becomes about whether or not you can bring a ghast from the nether to the overworld just to get half a block of extra room you know right and and stuff like that also is like i hope you spawn in a chunk that you can find a tree in because yeah. you're not going to get very I think far in, without that in those cases the maps are like curated so you've got a lot of those resources yeah. around and there's like hidden chests yeah. and stuff but but still kind of a, a neat challenge and definitely a unique concept one of the things that i remember watching for a while uh because i raided slice lime and and he was working on this particular map playthrough it was just a single sliver so one block wide but as far as you can go in either direction and the challenge there was like you can only mine so far down uh you can only reach so far left and right and and do you to get these resources you have to try to find them close enough to you all kinds of problems with mobs raining down on your head because you can't light up anything beyond what you can reach right yeah Uh, and so and that was before the new lighting changes right so that back then it was like it had to be seven or above (laughs) you know so i and that to me was like I don't know if I'd want to play it for very long, but it would be a really interesting experience, you know, testing your Minecraft knowledge. And that's, I think, where I like these kind of challenges. I, I The one kind of challenge that you mentioned that I have tried is Skyblock. And that's where I really enjoyed, like, you have to have a decent working knowledge of Minecraft to get through the game. Even if your motivation is just to build cool stuff aesthetically, you still have to figure out, like, where do I get diamonds from? Where do I get sand and glass from? Like, you have to trade with villagers for diamond tools you have to potentially depending on the map uh, create a husk farm to create sand and then get glass from that and there's all these kind of different things that you have to do and i really enjoyed that because for me because of the temporary nature of it i really wasn't worried too much about how things looked it really kind of spoke to the organize things create automation kind of like go through the tech tree sort of gameplay that i like so much from something like satisfactory but brought it into minecraft i was like okay well this kind of releases me from my normal yoke of like i want this to look good and i just have to create a cobblestone generator and like and advance from from there yeah i like i i really want to return to skyblock at some point like me as well i'm planning on doing it next year i think at this point i like it's coming up on like the 10 year anniversary of me playing skyblock for the first time so it feels like i should probably do something and uh yeah that skyblock is really an interesting challenge because that's been around since like alpha minecraft days like they they has it really wow i'm I'm pretty sure they played that as like a side thing with the yogs casts like original series of minecraft which is like one of those legendary things that started in super early versions of the game and survival islands were the same kind of thing where like you could start a world which had basically nothing but ocean around you and you had like one island and a 
tree and you had to survive and at this point you know once you get further out you're gonna find other land masses anyway and i think these days players even find that kind of stuff even too restrictive because there are so many different wood types in the game for a start now that you want to go out and find one of the 11 other types of wood that there are um and yeah you can you can end up with a lot of scenarios at least that still give you the vanilla minecraft mechanics but you can do a whole lot of different stuff with and Skyblock was really my first time getting to grips with the fact that resources were renewable. And I think that's such an important concept to grasp about this game that being introduced to it through a challenge map like that is such an interesting way of really getting to grips with it. It's the kind of thing where cobblestone being, you know, stone is all around you in a natural world. It's abundant. And so you don't think of ever needing to generate it automatically until you're faced with that scarcity and i think that's one of the things that's so fascinating about the the challenge aspect to minecraft is that it, it, it puts you in a different mentality for even playing in a default world after that one thing that i know that i give myself and it's not a conscious thing i think it's just because i'm an artist and that is the restriction that comes naturally to me when i want something to look functional look like it holds up it could work it could be supported and even though gravity only applies to a handful of blocks in minecraft i find it a, a, a present challenge in all of the things that i do to to make things look like they could stand up you know make sure that they could hold their own uh, a really good example is like you want to build a skinny bridge aesthetically but it's tough to do and have it not look like it's going to fall down or support itself but then the moment you start adding supports it goes from skinny to very chunky very quickly and, and I think that um, I've noticed that a number of times where I've had to make the decision to lean into chunkier builds. Like, okay, abandon the idea of making something look skinny, make it look fat and short, and it just kind of lends itself better to building in Minecraft overall. A lot of the bridges around Westall, I've noticed that I've, I've had to gone wider and kind of stubbier to make them look more the way that I, I want them to do aesthetically. Um, I do have like a rope bridge somewhere, uh, in Dartmouth Meadows. It looks okay, but it's still got a lot of those weird kind of diagonal connections that I don't really love. And if you want to put uh, like any kind of railing or, or rope along the side of it, so it doesn't feel like a death trap, um, it's hard to do because if you want to go a subtle kind of like rope bridge, you have to usually go half slabs and it, or, or slabs and it, it doesn't really work that way. So, um, that's one of the frictions that I find that is kind of imposed on me without much choice because just my eye twitches otherwise <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure and i mean even looking at west hill like there's restrictions innate to that is that you're restricting yourself to something that feels like a natural medieval build palette and this mm. is what i'm really talking about when it comes to restrictions breeding creativity is that so often we think of building as probably one of the most creative things it's possible to do with minecraft and with west hill you've got a limited palette but you're trying to find ways for different blocks to work within that palette in order to enhance the overall experience and the other thing that 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 kind of evokes for me is how having a set of elytra really changes your perspective on a world like i i imagine i would be building very differently if i challenged myself to not acquire elytra at any point or, or for a long time during a, a survival mm, run mm -hmm. because the shift in perspective from ground to air really changes the way we build and i think even 
since Elytra have been introduced and flight has been a much more common, much more approachable thing, you can boost yourself with rockets since 1.11, so we're nine updates into that way of life at this point. Um, like, since then, I think players' builds have become more ambitious because you're faced with a sense of scale suddenly that is very different from when you're on the ground. Like, you're thinking less about sight lines and stuff, or, you know, you're planning less for that. You're planning more for the scale and the overall picture and the 360-degree view of something and the bird's-eye view of something so that everything's going to look better from the air because you're spending a lot of time up there. Um, and Minecraft's toolset has evolved in small ways to meet the demand of players' builds becoming more ambitious as a result. And so... In a way, yeah, the, the the additional freedom that that gives us gives us more options to create more restrictions for ourselves. Like if you were building West Hill without the ability to see from a top-down perspective, then I imagine right. you would end up building some of that stuff very differently. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, of course, I've got the advantage of having the map mod there. So I've always had like a top-down view, even when I you know, wasn't flying around, but, but yeah, I think that one of the, the differences with uh, the bird's eye view of the elytra is that the ease in game to back up quickly and get a look at something from either the air or even just far away or to pop up on top of a tree or on top of a mountain quickly to like see something from far away in, in that it can be very hard to build something and have it look the way that you want when you're standing a meter from it when it's big, like you can't back up and see the whole picture. And, and I think that that has given me an advantage in, in West Hill. I do try to always model the sight lines from the ground, but that's an on purpose thing. Like that's me doing that specifically to have the experience of West Hill be from the ground, from the road. Um, it's not really meant to be flown over. I fly over it all the time because I want to complete as much as I can in a stream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I, I do find that um, it's not necessarily a challenge, but it's it's more of a uh, an opportunity to kind of slow down and smell the flowers. Whenever I go to like repair my Elytra or um, do anything like that, or if I'm if I'm not going that far in West Hill, I'll walk. With the with the long walks to like the the Nether portal and stuff. I'll, I'll turn on shaders and I'll walk the whole country road that goes between the farms. And, and I like it because it, it makes me slow down, you know, and look at the path and see where I've got to finish it and see where the farms look really good and see how the approach to the city looks good from the road, because I'm not flying in over the trees. I'm not taking the straight shortcut as the crow flies, you know? And, um, I think it's helped me not spend too much time on things like the roofs when you when you're flying over your roofs and they're all dark oak they look pretty boring but when you're on the ground and the only thing that you can see is the gable you can't even see the roof you're like you know it's not so bad from down here yeah, i don't need yeah. to spend hours texturing the top of this roof that you can't see unless of course it's something that's really close to like if you go up in the keep and you're way up in one of the towers in the keep then i think i've added details to the roofs that are immediately close to you but Roofs on the other side of the town where like the highest thing you can get up is like inside that one roof, then who cares? Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's taught me a little bit about like um, selective details in the same way that a painter will will focus your eye on something with a lot of detail. And then the trees in the background are just blobs. Right. And I think that that's important um, perspective in Minecraft with Elytra and that you can create a lot of work for yourself that no one is ever going to see but you if if you're using the elytra all the time and scoping out these tiny details now 
different if you're on a server where everyone has Elytra and they're always flying over your builds. Well, then then you might want to consider that. As you mentioned, like it changes yeah. the the scale and the mission statement of the build often will shift once everybody on the server is flying everywhere, right? Yeah, and, and it's interesting you bring up sort of being selective because I think that's what the sandboxy environment of Minecraft allows you to do. And that's why some of these restrictions and some of these challenges are even possible i was talking about like trying a vegetarian playthrough and I, i've done that a couple of times back when i used to play on xbox because there were you know fewer features on that version but i was still looking for fun ways to change up the experience and and like let me start up a new world it's only 800 by 800 blocks more or less let me just try and survive using vegetarian foodstuffs so I'm not starting a cow farm right away. I'm feeding the cows some wheat, but thinking, hey, I should save some of that myself for bread. I'm not jumping straight to the most efficient foods. Or if I go to golden carrots, it takes me a while to get there and I'm eating some of the other vegetables or even crafting some of them in the first place. And I think that's one of the things that I often look at the variety of foods we have in Minecraft and go, why do we have this many when there are only really three or four that are particularly effective for the player long term? And it really is to encourage these sorts of restrictions, these sorts of mm -hmm. like interactions with the game where it'll give you a bunch of vegetables that you're probably not going to eat otherwise except for the advancement. But then if somebody wants to try a vegetarian playthrough, then they can, right? I think that's a, uh, a fun way of looking at it. One of my more memorable experiences in one of my modded playthroughs, it was uh, all of Fabric 4 or 5 or something. And... I either didn't have livestock nearby or I was just happily exploring one of the mods that involved cooking. And one of the things I liked about it is that it did take more player interaction to cut a tomato, get some lettuce, make some bread and make a lettuce and tomato sandwich. But the other side of that was you got more hunger replenished and more hearts replenished than just eating bread or just eating a tomato or just eating a plain steak. Like because you combined different food groups you would get more oomph out of it and um i i don't remember the exact stats but i feel like if you wanted to have like a hamburger there was also like a you could ha get the same kind of restorative kind of boost from like a big salad bowl where they're you know a vegetarian option they both involved about the same amount of work and you could just kind of rp which way you wanted to go mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting and it, and it brings up a good point because i remember i was talking to somebody that didn't know what i did recently and explaining and they said oh you know i've i've played minecraft once or twice with my kids it was fun i didn't like killing the cows though was the yeah. next thing that they said right <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's because they, you know just they're cute they're cartoony they make a really sad moo when you kill them and people sometimes don't like that you know i don't know very many people at all that kill horses in minecraft for that example like they, they make a terrible noise and yeah. in general you know in in our circles we don't eat horses so like it's not you know it's not something that we really think about we think about them more as pets like cats and dogs and things uh and and i feel like um it's it's nice to have that alternative and as someone as as much of a carnivore as i am with my barbecue i eat golden carrots in minecraft i don't eat steak mm -hmm. <laughs> like i don't yeah. eat i don't eat the meat and and again like i did at one point but the moment that i could move on to the more efficient food that's kind of where i went yeah, and I feel like it's it's either a self-imposed challenge for the purposes of changing up gameplay, or if it, or some for some people it can be a reflection of their own lifestyle, and and yeah. that's again this update being about self-expression and you know encouraging people to play the way they want to play. I think that's a a really interesting conversation to have. Is like you know are you if you are vegetarian in Minecraft, 
are you vegetarian in real life? Do you feel like there is a synergy between those two things? Do you feel like you need to represent yourself that way in Minecraft? Or if you're vegetarian in real life, do you still just disregard that for the mechanics of Minecraft being that you're you're eating a stackable food stuff that's going to restore the most hunger in an efficient way? Like it, it's mm-hmm. it, it might be an interesting dichotomy for uh, for some folks out there. Um, with my personal challenge right now being, like I said, taking everything in the Minecraft survival guide world one step at a time, but sort of trying to use every feature in the game at some point or another, I'm finding that my individual gameplay sessions end up really focused on one subject for the sake of a tutorial, but also because I really want to plumb the depths of what those are capable of. And it'd be very convenient to have an ender chest or shelker boxes sooner or get some elytra right away. But I also enjoy the process of slowly building up a world and it feels like it has a much longer shelf life for me when I do that. I've noticed a lot of people going out to get armor trim or the sniffer um, and it really feels like a footnote in their experience, you know. But in my cases, when I want to go out and find a sniffer, which I haven't done in my world yet, I really want to focus on what it can do, how it behaves and learn the sniffer. You know, I want to be able to bring a couple of them home, observe their behavior when they're looking for seeds and then grow some of the plants and start spreading them around and see what I can do with them and the dyes they create and stuff. And people think that those features don't have a whole lot of depth, but it's really about what you want to get out of them. So if anything, the restriction I'm giving myself is I need to really immerse myself in some of these newer features before I allow myself to move on from them. Yeah, I haven't gone out to collect or look for any sniffers i've been asked to help build a collection system for the seeds that they drop on the server and so i think that might be my first we'll say like baby step towards sniffers and like how i want to interact with them so it'll be interesting to kind of approach it from like a i've been asked to help out with a a sniffer farm uh and and then decide like whether or not and how i'm going to interact with them in the future i find that with with this particular update because of most of the things being, yeah, I think it's cool, but it's not like really high on the rung for me right now. I, I haven't really thought about ways to impose any restrictions. And I wonder if it's just, I don't know whether you would call it a restriction because it's not necessarily imposing because like it's my own lack of enthusiasm, I guess, to go out and collect all the armor trim and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I can, I can see it being something where, um, collecting armor trim to like say decorate like say i found an armor trim i really wanted because i like the pattern and it would look good in some like armory display in the keep you know like the 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 person that rules the keep the lord of the town is showing off the wealth by having all the shiny armor on the wall Mm -hmm. um i i could see then that motivating me to go out and find you know the trim and it would be something where like i i wouldn't want that trim dropped off by a friend that happened to find it on the server you know like i I feel like i would want to experience that gameplay because then i then have an excuse to motivate me for it yeah yeah and thinking about armor your your other restriction or well i guess kind of self-imposed uh but oh there you go like a restriction is that your your armor preferences are very aesthetically driven like you're you're a lot more interested in having stuff that doesn't look like stupid glowy blue suits to you <laughs> in, yeah. instead of so you've got like is it you're still wearing like netherite boots but you've got iron armor the rest of the time and i presume elytra as well right now right yeah it's a combination of of function as well as a bit of a challenge because uh early on when we moved the server to hard there were some people that weren't on board with it and um for me i wear the iron pants because of the blue 
armor, but also it makes the server a little bit hard for me without making it harder for anybody else. Yeah, we still yeah. play on hard difficulty because of the, the farm yields that we want, but but it makes the server a little bit more challenging for me. Sometimes I forget that I'm only wearing iron pants and I wonder why a skeleton is handing me my face is because yeah. <laughs> I have a gold helmet because I don't want to bother to take a helmet on and off when I go to the nether and I have elytra on, iron pants with, I mean, they're enchanted, but like they're still just iron pants. And, and then the netherite boots are the necessity because of how much I jump off of stuff. And I would just be constantly repairing boots if they weren't as tough as they could be. Yeah. And so I just went straight to the thing. And I don't mind the netherite boots. Like they're kind of brown gray. Like they just, they look like medieval boots. You know, they don't, they're not really off, you know, for me. Now I haven't gone and done anything cool. Like one thing I could do is get a cool armor trim, use iron and add that to my netherite boots and they might look like they match my iron pants more if sure, i wanted to yeah. do that like I, I haven't tried that yet i haven't gone down that that road i really i kind of wish i know that we talked about it when they first came out with armor trim it's too bad that armor trim despite elytra not being armor cannot be applied to elytra because i think that would that would be really cool and would sort of m certainly motivate me to go out and get like a cool elytra trim you know, if I wanted to add red or green or something to my to my elytra and have it be an in-game challenge to go find it and do it rather than just a texture pack. Because I know I can change them to whatever I want with a texture pack, but I'd, I'd rather do it with like armor trim in-game if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the same is true of anything, really. It's like if we can change anything with a texture pack. It's just like, do we want to? And yeah. does, does the vanilla game support yeah. it, right? But uh, the vanilla game supports a lot of stuff. And I, I'm curious to hear from anybody who imposes their own challenges on themselves right into the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you if you're uh, a vegan who loves embracing veganism in minecraft if you're somebody who imposes one of those restrictions on yourselves or if you're just uh deciding to use chainmail armor now that you know that it can be armor trimmed as well worth worth writing in either way uh that's going to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com. the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community we're pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live when we record it in discord every week and we also have a monthly minecraft audio hangout where people share screenshots and we discuss latest trends in the minecraft community when it comes to building redstone and everything else we currently have 309 patrons which we're delighted to say is up 10 from last week while patreon was still processing a few people i think um, but special thanks as always go out to our content engineer patrons who help make this show possible thank you hunter 555 jumbo sale party voyager and yitz Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is being uploaded Monday, Wednesday, and Friday while I can't create new episodes while my PC is away. Uh, for that reason, my Twitch stream is also on hiatus, but you can always drop me a follow at twitch.tv slash The Hermitcraft recap will be continuing as normal. You can find that through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm probably going to be more active on both Twitter and Instagram, where I'm at Pixlriffs on both. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm up to online is at joelduggan.com, including a link to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. There are new episodes of that coming out now. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I used to stream every day, but now it's down to Thursday through Sunday, Lego on Fridays, and Minecraft the rest of the time. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that sounds like a challenge.